Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor, Daryl Feimster. Wow. My, it's good to see you here this morning. I want to thank you for coming and thank you for joining us online. This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We come to the end of a series of this series called Move. Move. I noticed that you survived Snowgeddon. As, and I'm, you're probably here because you're ready to move. But we're glad you're here. God, isn't it amazing how God can shake a little thing and make you thankful for little things that go on in your life? God is good. And all the time, I agree, I agree. Well, this morning I want to close out our series with a sermon titled, Move from Ordinary to Extraordinary. Now before you tune me out, Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at uh, Jesus' works, and then he says we're to do greater works, that doesn't sound like ordinary to me. Not just great works, but greater works than these, the works that Jesus did. What were these works? Let's just call them what they are. They're miracles. I'm believing that God wants you to live a life filled with miracle. To step out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. Miracles, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Divine intervention in human affairs. There's no way you can be saved without a divine intervention in your human affairs. It's a miracle. You say, well, preacher, what does that have to do with us? I want us to look at the first miracle Jesus did, John chapter 2. And uh, if you're there, verse 1, on, on the third day there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they had ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now. And take it to the master of the feast. And and they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then that which is inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. 
And then it says, verse 11, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. Well, when you're talking about doing the greater works and you're talking about the miracles of Jesus, of all the great miracles Jesus did, I would put this miracle way down the list. In fact, I would put it down the list if I even put it on the list. But John puts it first. Now, I've preached on this a few times, but I've never preached what I believe He's given me for you today. We could focus on the symbolism. As I studied this, you could see all the different directions. We could focus on the symbolism of the water and the wine, or we could focus on the stone pots being empty and being filled and being for cleansing and then the new wine. We could focus on the wedding feast itself at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and foreshadowing the wedding feast at the end of His days. There's no doubt there's much in this miracle, symbolically. But I don't want to focus on that. I want us to look at this miracle as if it were today. But more than that, that if it were that you were there that day. You were there. I want you to see yourself in this miracle because I believe that's what God wants to to show us. So before I get to that, uh, let's just... You know, Jesus and his disciples were invited to a wedding. A wedding usually lasted three to seven days. Basically, the wedding in that day was a party. And some believe that maybe this was somebody kin to Jesus. The Bible doesn't say, but here's the problem. They had run out of wine. Now, that would be tragic in the wedding feast. It would be devastatingly shameful to the wedding party almost considered a sin. You just don't run out of wine at a wedding. Some would have said that it was a sign of trouble to come in the marriage. The atmosphere, no doubtedly, would have gone from joy to dread in a moment. But today, was not going to be an ordinary wedding because Jesus was there. Now let me tell you something about miracles from what we see here just from what we've read. First of all, miracles happen because Jesus cares about our everyday needs. The miracle was not a necessity. It wasn't a blind eye. It wasn't a broken body. It wasn't a lame limb. It wasn't a dead man being raised from the dead. It wasn't that necessary. It was just a luxury. Running out of wine was a problem, but not a tragedy. Now, I understand it was probably a problem to the wedding couple and perhaps to Mary. But it wasn't a crisis. And my point is, Jesus' first miracle was the solution to a non-critical problem. God is concerned about your non-critical problems. He cares about people, and He cares about people enjoying themselves. Now listen, you've heard it said every party has a pooper. That's why I invited you. That's not Jesus. Jesus, every time you find Him in the Scripture, He's the life or bringing life to the party. Don't let people convince you that Jesus is a party pooper. In fact, in the New Testament, we often see Him at parties and He seems to bring life to the party so much so that His enemies called Him a glutton and a drunkard. 
In fact, Jesus was never accused of promoting a sire, rigid, emotionless religion. That was Pharisees. Just the opposite. He came that His joy might be in us and that our joy might be complete. And it's amazing. Wine is a symbol of joy. And the first miracle that Jesus does is about bringing joy to His people. That means that there's nothing too ordinary to look to Jesus for. He's just as concerned about the little problems of your life as He is the big problems that you think would take a miracle. Number two, and I'll speed this up. Miracles happen because Jesus transforms everyday experiences. Jesus didn't come to give us information, folks. He came to bring transformation. He changes things. He has a way of taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. He doesn't want just to give us new ideas. He wants to make us new people. The water didn't just appear to be wine. It was transformed into wine. The best of wine at that. God is in the transformation business. Jesus doesn't just want to change your plans. He wants to change your heart. He doesn't want to give you a new direction. He wants to make you a new person. He doesn't, want you, he doesn't want to just rearrange your life. He wants to transform it to what you could always dream it to be. Number three, miracles happen and most people don't even get it. Did you notice that the only people who knew this was a miracle was the servants, Mary, and the disciples, and of course Jesus. Jesus didn't work the miracle to gain attention of the crowd. He's not like us. We would want everybody to know, hey, come to church on Sunday, we're turning water into wine. Heard a story about Big Ed. Big Ed had been invited to the service, a worship service, and he listened attentively as the preacher preached. The invitation was given and Big Ed responded. The preacher, as he walked up to him, the preacher asked, What do you need? And Big Ed said, I need God to help me with my hearing. So the preacher took Big Ed by the head with both hands and he placed his finger in each ear. And looking up to heaven, he began to pray and he prayed loud and he prayed strong. He bound, he loosed, he quoted scripture, he raved about God's greatness. He took his fingers out of Big Ed's ears and said, Now, how's your hearing? Big Ed said, I don't know. I'm supposed to appear this Wednesday at the Crowney Courthouse. We want to be so dramatic. Jesus could have called for everyone's attention, announcing that all to everyone what He's about to do is turn water into wine. He could have been so much more dramatic. He could have waved His hands over the water pots And then personally, he could have presented the good wine to the headmaster. But here's the point. The miracle wasn't about getting attention. It was about intention. He wanted to reveal the Father's heart and save a couple from shame. Number four, miracles always provide more than enough. There were six jars containing between 20 and 30 gallons apiece. That means at least there was 120 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. I did the math. That would have been 11,520 eight-ounce glasses. If everybody had two, that meant over 2,000 people 
I doubt if there was 2,000 people at that wedding. Why would Jesus make so much wine? Because He's an extravagant giver. He never gives just enough. He's always super abundantly. It's like His grace and His love. There's no limit to it. The only limit is to refuse it. That's about the miracles. What does that have to do with moving from our ordinary to extraordinary? So I want to take us a closer look into the the story. We know Jesus turned water into wine, but it seems like, and here's the thing I've noticed and I want to draw your attention to, it seems like the servants did everything. That's where you come in. This morning I want you to put yourself in this story. You're the servants. You're the servants. And here's the thing. If you look at it, verse 5, His mother said to the servants, if I had a Bible to mark in, I would mark that. He said to the servants, whatever He says to you, do it. Now these were servants, and I want you to say, this is important, they were not slaves. The word here in the Greek is diakonos. We get our word deacon from it. Doulos is the word slave. They were not slaves. This meant that they were probably chosen by the family to serve at the wedding, kind of like waiters or helpers. They could have been volunteers. They were servants. They were there to help with the wedding. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Now, there were six water pots there. Stone water pots, and that's important. Stone water pots. And they each held 20 to 30 gallons. Somebody come up to, up to, yeah, after the first service says, what's a firkin? Because that was in the King James, the firkin, two or three firkin. Well, that was the measurement in Jesus' day that came out to be between 18 and 30 gallons. So we say 20. So 20 gallons. Stone pot. Now here's the thing. When I think of a water pot, I think of clay pots. But this was a stone pot. What this meant was it was a pot that had been honed out by hand from a rock. So in other words, you wasn't going to pick it up and carry it easily. And it was used for purification because the stone did not, would not uh, become like mold or anything like that. In other words, the stone would have been used because it would not be con- become contaminated. And most of the time, a family had one. This, this wedding had six of them. 120 gallons for purification. And Jesus speaks to the servants. Fill the water pots with water. That would have meant a lot of trips to the fountain. Now, remember, who's the servants? We are. Jesus says, go fill the water pots. What would you have asked? Why? Why fill the water? Why? Are we going to have another cleansing? A purification? It didn't make sense. What difference was filling these pots with water going to make? The people were not going to go through the ceremony of cleansing again, were they? But notice the next part of that verse. And they filled them 
up to the brim. In other words, they didn't just put some water in it. They filled it up to the brim to where it would run over. If they put any more, in other words, their obedience was not just immediate, it was complete. They did it. They went to the stream, they went to the fountain, and they dipped out and they brought until all six water pots were to the brim. Now who's the servants? Then it got ridiculous. Have you ever had one of those old crud moments? Verse 8. And he said to them, who? To the servants. Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Do what? What have I just filled those water pots with? What am I going to draw out as far as I know? What am I going to take to the master of the feast? What am I going to pour in his glass? Yeah, that's an old crud moment. Draw water from a ceremonial cleansing pot. Take it to the headmaster. Pour it into the wine glass. How many of you think that the servants got to the back of the line? But look at what the verse says. They took it. Whatever he says to you, do it. They took it. Look at verse 9. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants, I love this, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. There's another. Oh, no. He tasted it, and now he's called the bridegroom. We are in trouble. Scripture, you realize we knew it was going to turn into wine. You hear it? We know it because we've read the story. The Scripture doesn't say the water turned into wine until just now. Nobody else knew it. Now, your Bible may have, when Jesus turned water into wine, you knew it. The servants who had filled the water pots didn't know it. The servants who took out of the water pots didn't know it. The servant who went and poured it in the masters didn't know it. What he knew was... What he filled it with, what he draw, what he poured, all he knew was water. And who are the servants? Yep. Oh, no. Now the master's calling the bridegroom. Can you imagine what the servants are thinking? I imagine by this time the servants are leaving. Their hearts skipped a beat. Now look at verse 10. And the master, headmaster, said to him, the bridegroom, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. I can hear what that servant's thinking in his mind. Let's get there in a minute. You have kept the good wine until now. While the servants are listening to this headmaster speak to the bridegroom, can you imagine the fear that what's he going to say to the bridegroom? You see, these servants knew what it was to water down wine. Before, when you'd do your best wine, you'd do the whole stuff, the 100% stuff at the first, but after they had well drunk, all the servants knew how to water down the wine so the inferior would be, after they had already drunk a lot, there would be the inferior, nobody would notice. 
people would notice it was water. And then they heard these words, You have kept the good wine until now. I don't think the servants looked into the jar. I don't think they looked in the pot. I think every servant's eyes looked at Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Who can take what we did and turn it into a miracle? They got to be part of their fear being turned into faith, their shame being turned into joy, their lack being turned into abundance. They got to be a part of it. Who's the servants? I wonder how many of us miss the miracle because we won't be part of the ordinary. If you're going to move from ordinary to extraordinary, it means you're going to have to obey Jesus when it's not reasonable, when it's not sensible, when it's not commendable. We're going to have to believe Him when, he's, when it's not believable. Why? Because He is the Son of God who can be trusted. What often looks like the ordinary, the commonplace, the normal activity can be touched by God and brought to extraordinary life. Who knows what God can do with a people who will believe Him enough to trust and obey Him. The key to the extraordinary is whatever He says to you, do it. Do is the word, the verb poeo. It's in the aorist imperative. It's a command that says, just do it. Don't hesitate. Jesus could have supplied all the wine that was needed without ever involving those servants. He didn't need them. Listen to me. The servants did not do the miracle. The servants were especially blessed because they obeyed Jesus and they shared in the joy of the miracle. But not only did they just obey, they obeyed without question and to the fullest extent. They filled them up to the brim. This means that the miracle had the opportunity to be fulfilled in the greatest measure possible. I wonder how many of us stay ordinary just because we won't do just what He says. John chapter 2, verse 11. This is the beginning, the first of the miracles Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. The miracle manifested His glory. Manifested. Ephraim. It means to make apparent, to expose, to view, to make known. We get our word epiphany from it. The word epiphany means a sudden manifestation of the essential nature or meaning of something or someone. It manifested, it made known, it was the manifestation of His essential nature of glory, doxa, His majesty, His excellence, His brilliance, His repute or His reputation. 
What did the miracle make apparent? That Jesus was somebody different, altogether other. But more than that, he was creator. He created wine. You understand that, right? The whole process of growth, of bearing fruit, of harvest, of production of wine is compressed into a moment, a fragment of time. Jesus didn't say a word over it. He didn't blink an eye. He merely exercised His will of who He was. And wine was created. Abundant wine. There would never be another time when Jesus could walk around as a normal man. This was the beginning of an extraordinary walk that leads to a cross, that leads to our salvation, that leads to His resurrection, that leads to the pouring out of His Holy Spirit upon us, that we might be His servants today to share in His miraculous life and living. He was the Word. The Word was made flesh. All things were made through Him, John 1, 3 says. And without, any, without Him, nothing was made that was made. And His disciples believed, King James says, on Him. Modern translation says, into Him. The Greek word actually means they believed into Him. And I love Vincent's word study. Vincent says that that word believe into means the absolute transference of trust from yourself to another. To draw upon and avail yourself of all that's offered in Him. God never wants you to walk in an ordinary life. He wants you to do ordinary things, but He wants you to walk in an extraordinary life filled with Him that when He wants to, He can touch something that looks ordinary and make it extraordinary. And some other people may not ever see it. But the servants, they knew what they drew out. They knew what they poured. But they saw what Jesus did with it. God is inviting you to be a part. To move from the ordinary to the expected to the extraordinary to the unexpected. And all it takes... They did it. Whatever he said for them to do, they did it. They did it instantly, they did it completely, and they did it successfully. The key to excellence, the key to the extraordinary, is whatever he says to you, just do it. So when you just do what Jesus says, you are cooperating with the Creator and King. One who there's nothing too hard for Him. Nothing is impossible. But it's your move. It's your choice. Father, Open our hearts to receive 
what you have for us today. And Father, open our eyes to see the ordinary things we can do just because you say it. And know that, God, you can touch every ordinary thing and make it extraordinary because you're the God who creates and you're the king of our hearts. We give you praise. We give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Such a good word. Well, before we close today, I just have a couple of announcements. Uh, Tonight we will have middle school and high school youth at 5 p.m., uh, we invite all of y'all to uh, that are in middle school or high school to attend, invite a friend. Uh, and this Wednesday night, we will have Spark and Life Groups uh, starting again. Uh, also wanted to give you a quick update on, on some of the things that happened during the week, you know, with all, all our weather circumstances that, that we all had the joy of walking through. Uh, first of all, uh, pretty much right at the very beginning, we reached out to the fire chief and the emergency services and made ourselves available in any way that we could be. Uh, many of you uh, offered to, to volunteer in the warming stations and the different places that were made available here in town. Um, thankfully, that they did not have enough people that needed that help, so that, that means people were doing okay. Um, but just want to let you know that we made ourselves available in that way. Uh, also, um, the Ministerial Alliance, uh, which we're a part of and, and, and help support that, uh, always helps with uh, transients or, or people passing through town that may need a place to stay and they may be out of money. Um, we made uh, funds available to um, put any homeless that are in the area in, in the hotels uh, for all the nights that were freezing and, and the, the, through the fire department, police department, they got you know situated and then we, we provided the funds for that. Um, and then I know uh, from the many of you that I talked to the week and I know every one of you, like I said during the communion, could all give a testimony of the different people that you were able to directly minister to or ministered to you uh, during this time. And that's what the body of Christ is. And I know it wasn't just our body, but the whole community. Uh, and we're so thankful of, for that. That being said, we know that where we are now, that pipes are, are unthawing. Uh, some people may have some water leaks or branches that need to be cut up or different things like that. And so we have two lists out in the foyer. One is uh, if you are available at some point during the next week or so to volunteer and help with some of those needs, you can sign up and, and just put your name and number and we'll, we'll contact you if a need arises. And then there's another sign-up sheet that is a need list. So if you or someone you know has a need, whether it be plumbing or wood or anything else that came about from all this, uh, put your name down and the need or someone that you know of that has a need and we'll be in contact to, to help however we'll however we can. Uh, And then last but not least, uh, we will be working on a little bit better communication with our whole body. You know, we're not in a tornado alley or earthquake zone. And this, I think people have said is like a 50 to 100 year event. You know, we're more used to things that happen. You know, someone has a fire, there's one family in need or whatever, you know, we can reach out fairly easy when it's Everybody, it's kind of hard, but I know, like I said, I never reached out to anybody who hadn't been reached out to by multiple people, and so we're thankful that everyone did that. But I also just want every single one of you to know that if you uh, ever have a need yourself or know of a need, please, 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 please contact us. Uh, we're here, and there was so many that, that were willing uh, to help in any way they could, and so we, we can always pull those resources together uh, if we know about them. So uh, just a reminder again, that sign up either if you're available as a volunteer or if you have a need or know of a need. And um, if you can help us 
stack these chairs and these chairs for, for both tonight and Wednesday night. We would really appreciate it. God bless you all and have a wonderful week. And the ministry team is still available if you have a prayer need. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 